Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Silverstein, the podcast. Today, we have everyone except for Bill. He's taking a, a shorts day, a shorts credit. We used to say <laughs> this when warp, hot warp tour dates, you'd be like, all right, I want to wear shorts on stage. We'd be like, no, 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 we can't all wear shorts. Only one guy at a time. So it was like you cash in your shorts credit one per week. And that's what Bill's doing today. Bill is this not This is here. back when shorts were not cool. I think that they're sort of back, shorts are. Um, but you have to think that this, we're going back to, you know, the kind of mid-2010s or whatever, when it kind of had to be black skinny jeans. Like, that was your option. It was <laughs> yeah, only it was, the one. It was pretty much the one lower half of your body option. Yes, this is, this is not true. But we don't have Bill today. Uh, we've got everybody else. Including Josh Bradford, who was about to say something, and I cut him off. Yeah, you know, I was just uh, going to wonder aloud that it, it must really uh, take away the mystique of your favorite artists if you can see their bare leg flesh. <laughs> you know, I, like uh, you know, what what is uh, Nick Cave without his suits? <laughs> I, I don't want right. to see more Morrissey's ankles or his calves. Maybe his cankles. You don't know. Imagine Metallica walked on stage, everyone in shorts and like Hawaiian t-shirts. You would See, just leave. it would be weird. It would, it would leave. Be weird. But then like, yeah. you know, the story so far can get away with it. You know, there's I bands mean, like that, you know, maybe movements. They, they do stuff like that. I've never seen Nicki Minaj wear pants. That's true. There, there are certain yeah. genres that lend themselves to their <laughs> legs and others that do not. Well, yes. well, today is the hottest day, I think, of the year so far. So it sure is. If you're not okay, wearing yeah. shorts, what are you doing? I actually am wearing shorts today. I am also wearing shorts, uh, but you can't hear that on this podcast. So I'm wearing black skinny jeans like I always do. It's just me. I don't if you know, take I a suffer. pair of scissors, they could be black skinny shorts. <laughs> well, now, but now everyone's talking about how uh, someone literally asked me if I wore jorts. They're like, do you wear jorts? And I'm like, uh, like, yeah, I don't know. Is that so uncool now? Yes, sorry. What am I supposed to wear? Giant Dickies shorts, like Pennywise? Just pants. I even think that might be an option now. Yeah, you can go back to those. I think it's kind of like more of a a shorter, wider leg short is kind of what's on Vogue mm. these days. Mm. I'll never forget we were going to do a photo shoot. This is probably back in the mid-2000s, like 2009, 2010. And our manager at the time pulled me aside digitally. He, he probably emailed me or, or messaged me and said, no dicky shorts for this photo shoot, okay? We're trying to reinvent and rebuild the band's image. You can't wear New Balance sneakers and dicky shorts. Yeah. Which is... So in fashion today. I know. Literally, you just, you described 2022. It's ridiculous. He also tried to limit our beard usage. He said, the only, only one guy can have a beard. We're like, well, we got two. Is that all right? He's like, I don't know. I think you have to get rid of the beard. Sorry. It's one or three. Before you're strong, they're all, they all have beards. I, I think it has to be odd <laughs> numbers. One, three, or five. Two's weird. Four's weird. <laughs> one, three, or five works. Yep. Yep. That's right. I think the age of your band starts to matter too. It's like the sunglass thing. If if your band has been a band longer than 25 years, you have yes. to wear sunglasses in your promo photos. Yeah, and we're close to that. I'm I'm excited for that. 
I'm very excited. You look great in sunglasses. Anyway, uh, we could talk all day about a bunch of bullshit, but we're not here to do that. We are here to talk about yet another song from our new album, Misery Made Me, which people are really liking it. People are really, really digging it. And I'm hearing a lot of love for this week's song, Cold Blood. A lot of love. I love it. Great tune. One of my favorites. I think the Trevor Daniel feature, and we're hoping to get Trevor uh, on. Uh, he couldn't jump on with us right now. Bad phone service in Malibu. I, I mean, you know, hey, it happens. Pop star life, you know, it's it's not our fault. Hanging out with babes in Malibu. I don't know. It's tough. But um, he, he's hoping to jump on with me a little bit later. So we'll get his take about the song. But I think his part, his verse is one of the one of my favorite parts of the record. That That's huge. That's huge. It really is. It really is. Yeah, big feature. I think uh, it, to me, in my own personal opinion, which is all I'm really qualified to give, I, I feel like this tune has remnants of, you know, what we really started off doing even before um, When Broken is Easily Fixed. You know, the, the very early stuff that you would have found on uh, our self-released EPs had, you know, kind of twinkly, noodly guitars, very early 2000s emo. And I think mm -hmm. that this song really draws on that. But then, you know, with a, a guest feature from a, a newer, huge talent like Trevor Daniel, it, it helps bring that into a new era and really modernize it at the same time as being a bit of a throwback. That's true. I like that take because I remember hearing this song originally instrumentally and right away like for me it was like oh yeah this is the like throwback to when broken song like that clean guitar riff the like little bendy bits in it was very much something that we would have done in the first what's to say the first like four years of the band and it's it's true because like as much as I think it's cool to do some stuff that throws back to our old material and like we still play our old material live and we always will and we celebrate it, I think it's really cool that we were able to modernize the track in some different ways, including what you just said. I think that that's like maybe part of what made the song not just, okay, this is a repeated thing we've done before. I definitely can hear that, but I never really felt it was super throwbacky. I I, I think it, it is very leaned into the whole emo sound, uh, kind of more mid-tempo. But I think a lot of like the the beats particularly, I think, gave it the real modern feel, almost somewhat of a hip hop kind of groove, uh, mm -hmm. especially over those verses, which I think is really interesting. Um, and I think really supported the feature super well. 100 percent. It definitely encompasses all those aspects. And I think you're right that it's the beat that modernizes it. And also, I think the chord progression is fresh for us. It is actually like a super stock set of four chords, <laughs> but played in the style of kind of older emo stuff, but with a more right. modern kind of, I don't want to call it a hip hop groove, but like a, a, a beat with a little more groove to it. And then, yeah, you end up with this neat marriage of it. And Trevor's like the perfect guy to come in and, and feature on it. 100%. I, I really like the, the, the way that this song took shape. You know, just hearing some of the in, initial ideas that I believe uh, Josh had with that opening um, guitar riff, right? The clean riff. Oh yes, sir. I uh, as as is usual for me. I have all these little noodly bits, and I keep them in a shoebox, and I pull it out from time to time, and I dig through it, and I say, 
I don't know what to do with any of these. But then I show stuff like that to my friend Paul Mark, and he uh, uses his beautiful big brain to assemble it into something <laughs> concise and meaningful. And uh, it, it's truly a joy for me to see, you know, something I enjoyed messing around with on the guitar but never had a vision for. Seeing that uh, take shape into something that, uh, you know, is, is certainly greater than the sum of its parts. So to summarize, you take the riff out of the shoebox and put it in a giant brain. Yes. <laughs> I run it through that big old beautiful brain, and it's now it's a song. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, what were you trying to, you know, do is it with that riff? Was it did you have a vision for kind of what it could have been? Like did it kind of end up sort of turning out how you thought it could, or did it sort of take a different shape? I would say I really had little to no vision. I'm a big gear collector. I had just gotten a really cool Schecter Stratocaster style guitar, uh, which is a very different playing and sounding guitar from uh, what I usually use. And I was running that through a chain of a bunch of different pedals that I had recently gotten. Some I've had it for a while. But yeah, just in messing around at home, found a signal chain that I really liked. It was clean, but at the same time, had a little bit of breakup to it and a little bit of ambience. I just noodle and find a part that I feel like suits that signal chain. And so Paul Mark doesn't usually like to work with all these different analog devices, but I showed up to his home studio with a giant pedal board and this Strat. And I was just like, I don't know, here's the thing I have. And I, I like the way it sounds. Normally he likes to do things in the box so that there's a little more, uh, you know, the, the ability to, to tweak and change it a little more mm-hmm. uh, after right. the fact. But this kind of was like capturing what I had put down through this analog signal chain and then building off of that. Well, I got a little um, early instrumental, I think, uh, riff here. Can I play yeah, it for the people? It's uh, it's called Beach. Yeah, is that right? Yes. yes. Yeah. So this is just to set this up even further than that. Uh Josh was the only person for any of the Misery Made Me sessions that actually came into my physical world. Everyone else I worked with was over the internet, but Josh actually, I allowed Josh to come into my house, which for <laughs> the time that of COVID that it was, you know, that Very was a illegal. big deal. Not a lot of people yeah. were, were coming and going. So Very illegal. <laughs> yeah. I snuck in the back door. I snuck right in that back door and I, I laid down some hot tracks and then snuck right back out. <laughs> Very minimal contact. What you're going to notice here uh, about this demo is that this is the uh, the tone Josh was just talking about. This is the one using his pedals. And the, so it's like the key is different and the, the tempo is different and all this stuff because this was kind of like built around the loop that we were kind of working on together. Cool. And we'll probably just play a little bit clip of this. But here it yeah, is. Super the long. initial guitar riff, which uh, from Josh's shoebox uh, into Paul Mark's giant brain that started this whole Ball a rollin'. Here is the first demo called Beach.
There it is. Beach, the early demo Josh and Paulmark put together. And that was cool cool to hear. Um, yeah, some of the like little nuanced guitar stuff. Not that like, you know, it all gets completely lost, but there is you do kind of don't hear it as well when the vocals and stuff are over it. Some cool little leads in there. Oh, dude, the balance is like completely flipped. Like, I think totally. now that I'm remembering it more, Josh, I could be wrong about this, but the part that you were most excited about, or maybe that I was most excited about, uh, was that the there's chords with delay on them <laughs> that come in halfway through the intro. Like, yeah. that was the thing you were really jazzed about coming in. And uh, so that in the demo mix is correct. Because <laughs> that was the feature. I like... Uh... In what is the chorus? That lead is is very pronounced in that demo, but certainly mm-hmm. a lot more subdued in the in the final mix to make room for the vocals and and whatnot. Um, Sorry. And hearing it now, I'm oh, totally cool. I think the song <laughs> came out great. Can't complain. You know, when when there is nothing other than the instrumental, you can focus a little more on those parts, but they have to inspire the vocal and then get out of the way of it. But that that lead part in the chorus. I don't know if you guys would feel the same, but hearing it now this way, it, it feels uh, very much like uh, that band from Denmark, Mew, to me. It, it vibes mm-hmm. in that kind of direction, which I, I had forgotten about and very much like. I love Mew. Good pull, man. It does feel like that. It has this like kind of uh, quaint, magical quality to it, which I think Mew does you know, so well. Yeah. Yeah, I never think I, I heard that version of the demo, but then obviously I think the first version I heard probably was with, with vocals. I guess what my question is just uh, what made you change the key? I guess was that when the vocal writing kind of took shape and it was like, all right, we'll, we'll shift it around a little bit. Exactly. I We wrote the vocal over that and I was like, this is too high. And then you you bounced. And maybe that night or the next day, I re-recorded the whole thing in a lower key. So the vocal sat better. Does that seem right, Josh? That does seem right because I think we we sat together with it and uh, worked on some of the some of the lyrics and some of the like the content. And I, I had that kind of idea of it being about you know we're just so bombarded with media, social media, regular, standard TV, radio media, uh, all this bad news coming at us all the time, and uh, becoming kind of numb to it because it is so yeah. you know. It's so overblown and so in our faces. So I, I think we worked on that together. And, and yeah, you felt that the, the vocal would sit better in a different key. How much lower was it? Because I, I did notice right away, but I, was it a couple semitones or more? I think it's maybe a full tone. Uh, maybe the guitar. I think I'd recorded it in drop C and maybe we recorded the original one was in drop D. It could have just been a semitone, though. It, I, can't, I honestly don't remember exactly what we did. Could figure it out. It'd be pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Does make answer. it vibe a little heavier too you know that slightly lower tuning 100 percent. maybe makes it fit in fit in with the rest of the record a little more tona- tonally absolutely so talking about the lyrics um and i mean we'll try to get trevor's take later on uh he's not here at this very moment but i really think it's cool that we have a different perspective of a song because trevor wrote most of the parts he sings and i think that that's really kind of an interesting thing when you like kind of Josh, you know, you just talked a little bit about what the song's kind of inspiration was about and then how it turned out. And then when you get someone else on it, you kind of like hear what their sort of take on the lyrics is. And then it just puts another spin on it, which I think for this time and for this record being such a universal uh, topic that we're all kind of going through. And so much of us are just going through the same thing we have for the last 
couple of years. I think that that's a really kind of special way to do it, and it makes this song kind of stand out on this record. Uh, absolutely. I, I think, like, this is such a universally felt theme, right? Like, the the idea of just, like, the constant doom scroll, the constant bombardment of just all this overwhelming sense of, like, what now is happening globally and locally and politically and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I, I think we all felt it. It's another version of that shared experience, you know, that we're all feeling in all parts of the world. I liked Trevor's take on it for sure. And I thought it certainly brought a different perspective. And I think we can all relate to like kind of that hiding out in your bed because it feels like one of the last safe spaces available to you and just staying under the sheets and, and trying to escape the world. For sure. You and I were talking about early on, like before any lyric had actually been written and we were kind of just vibing. I'm um, talking about the world. I actually just looked up the date to see if there was like some specific thing. As Bill mentioned, like we wrote It's Over on January 6th, which is a pretty big day. But uh, yeah, not a good big day, like a, a bad, stupid big, day, bad uh, big day for the world. This was not on. I can't I don't know exactly what it would have been, I think, with this demo. OK, no, here we go. No, it's December 4th. So I don't know what was going on around that time. I guess maybe the election had just happened. But uh, in any event, that's yeah. all not that important but i remember we were just talking about it your take was more like how overwhelmed and hopeless like overwhelmed you felt and how hopeless everything seems when all you do is doom scroll on your phone and i was kind of feeling the opposite of that where i felt like this compulsion to want to contribute to the posts like i you know i'm a pretty outspoken guy i think everybody listening to this podcast knows that <laughs> and i i think it's really easy to get caught in this cycle of like well, I have to post something about this, you know, like I need the world, you know, and I'm doing scare quotes here. Like I need the world needs to know, like, like, I think this is wrong. And here's a infographic I found that sums that up for you. At some point, you have to reckon with like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, who is this for? Is it for me? Like, am I just trying to prove to people around me that like I'm on a particular side of some argument? Like, what are we doing? So I that was my driving kind of emotional force behind this song. And in combination with Josh, I think how you felt, this is how we end up with the cold blood thing. Cause like you're feeling maybe like you don't have a choice, but to me numb to it. And I would like to actively be able to turn that on at sometimes, I guess like it's not obviously not solution oriented, but it is maybe a self-preservation method in these ridiculous times. Yeah, certainly. I struggle with both sides. I want to fly my banner and let people know that I am you know, trying my best to live on the on the side of what feels right and and good, uh, but also it it feels hopeless and pointless and just the the overwhelming amount of bad news that it felt like was being deluged on us throughout the past couple of years was uh, really struggled with it. I, I have a vague memory of just around that time that we were sitting down to write that just seeing the the death tolls climbing and climbing and climbing and just kind of wondering like at, at what point do we stop having funerals and it's just like a mass grave type of thing like mm-hmm. yes. it's it's so overwhelming and we we almost can't celebrate each of those individual lives anymore because the the number is so vast well that's the thing right is you started to, i started to wonder okay when are they going to just stop counting and we're at that point, mm-hmm. you know, they're not counting. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they are counting. I'm sure they're counting, but the news isn't covering it anymore. You know what I mean? It used to be you would turn on 
you know, a, a U.S. I won't say an, uh, any of the brands, but you know the brands, any of them. And on the side, taking up like 25% of the screen would be like, this is how many deaths, this is how many cases. There's like a ticker. Obviously, there's a certain about amount of fear mongering that's that's there but it's also informing people that like hey this is like this is a fucking real problem and now it's like that's just gone so i think it pertains to the song and i think there was a little bit of foreshadowing there right like it's just like no one everyone's just moved on from this and i think it feels great to have just spent the weekend with you know you Josh and you Paul Mark like in Boston and not wore a mask once for literally one second and not had any of that come into play and it felt like before but like you know or have we have we got have we passed the point of feeling you know detached from tragedy it's like or are we past the point of feeling detached from tragedy and it's like yes yes we have yeah, yeah but that's and that's kind of what I'm saying like as a method like it's this internal kind of wrestle wrestling match you have between like well i want to be responsible to this cause and as josh says like you want to sort of be on what you would consider to be like the good or you know like the side of the greater good in these cases but if it's at how much like hopelessness can you take and at what point do you have to try to flip a switch and and intentionally try to numb yourself to those kind of statistics because nothing seems to be getting done about them and you have zero power, you know, it's just so depressing to be living in that situation endlessly. That is the cold bloodedness that like yep. you both lament having, but almost need to ad- adopt to live now and, or at least then. Yeah. Cause you'd go fucking crazy, man. Yeah. And you'd have no time for your own self or your own emotions. If all you did was like, look to be outraged of everything going on in the world and fighting against it. You couldn't like you couldn't do it. You're one person. Well, right? don't you so, don't you even feel like like even even for myself like doom scrolling? It's like you almost did that to be connected to other people, right? Like you wanted to know that there were other people reading this stuff and reacting to it in some weird twisted way. It was like, oh, we're all scared and upset and mad or worried. Sure, uh, you know, and then you just jump off the bridge together, but it's not helping you, right? So, it, and and sometimes you can't even get to the reactionary stage. You can't even look at the news. You can't even get out of bed because you know what's coming, right? Because it just became so persistent, and and this problem is now replaced with another problem, you know, that is equally bleak that we have to live with, mm-hmm. and that's just kind of the society we live in, and with the constant access to news and social media, and literally everywhere you you go, and all your friends sharing, and and everything, it's like. Without, unless you just literally, you know, stay by yourself, you'll 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 always be bombarded by, I think, what's going on, um, and most likely the negative um, at the forefront. Unfortunately, posts make the world go round, man. Yeah, that is our our media system at this point, right? That that I, it's even an old adage at this point. Uh, the the if it bleeds, it leads. And there's a lot of bleeding going on these days, and so the it, the news cycle is just overwhelmingly negative horrible tragic news and that is certainly what this is uh, trying to bring front and center wow was was it john krasinski uh in the pandemic that uh tried to combat this by doing his own little news show i think maybe produced with his kids uh that it was like good news only and it was just cute funny (laughs) little stories maybe more of that we need that it sounds all right i'm into that 
should should never stopped. I hope it's still happening. It's interesting that this, uh, you know, through all the heavy topics, this one has really stopped us in our tracks the most. I can kind of, I know the listeners won't be able to see this, but I mean, I can see all of our faces right now as we record this. And like, it seems like it, this conversation has kind of put us all back in that spot for a minute. And that's hard. It was hard and it's still hard some days, you know, some days, sometimes like when you really just think about it, you know, like still, it's still happening. I mean, not to date this too much, but obviously there was some awful, awful shit that went down this week. So, right. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I mean, that was a lot of that stuff. And we're talking for people that know the context, just so you're not like, well, what? Because you don't know when this is recorded. Today and there'll be 50 30th. other awful things between when this is recording and when this comes out, unfortunately. No kidding. There will be. We're talking about the mass shooting in Texas. And, um, you know, all that stuff really did get pushed into the background for a minute in the in the news cycle, didn't it? But now, unfortunately, that's just back because that's, hey, that problem's not going anywhere. You know, when it went somewhere is when they made it illegal for people to gather in big groups inside buildings in the United States of America. This is <laughs> like, I'm sorry, it's fucked up. Just stop <laughs> doing guns. Up. We have people and we have big buildings. No other country on earth has this fucking problem. Fucking get it together. Yeah, you're not wrong, dude. You're not wrong. Just trying to think about like what, what it is that is getting under our skin a little more about this song in particular. Because certainly the themes of all the songs on the record are difficult topics and uh, a, a lot of struggles. And I'm wondering if, like, to some extent, there's, there's certainly an air of hopelessness in the, the content of this and, and being, you know, powerless to, to solve it. I think that exists also in the, in the very political songs like The Altar, Bankrupt. But they have, I guess, more an a, a attitude of anger against it. And this one just is hopeless uh and then a lot of the other songs i suppose are a little more inward looking and this one is certainly more outward facing at the at the the big problems that we don't really seem to have any solutions for with the exception of of those angrier songs the more introspective you know sad hopelessness on this record those are things you can at least feel like you've moved past you know like i don't feel anymore the way i did writing the ultraviolet like that was a, a you know six month period i'm not saying i'll never be back there in fact like i don't think you're ever fully clear of that situation sure. but you can feel for extended periods of time like you that's a distant memory but this cold blood this is there is no sign of this going away in fact it's it looks like it's only going to get worse and to just not be able to put it in the rearview mirror and just think like every time i wake up there's a pretty good chance i'm going to have to deal with this so true. That is so true. Damn. Damn. Well, on that on that note, do we check out a, a, a updated demo? <laughs> Let's check out an updated demo. We've got Cold Blood 2.0. Everything's going numb, I should panic But all I 
There it is, Cold Blood, the demo, which, wow, very little changes in that one. Even the variations were almost exactly the same. Yeah, it's true. We kept a lot of the the vocal tweaks alive. It is missing my favorite, apart from Trevor's part, obviously, my favorite part of the song, which uh, in mixed notes, you asked him to ask Sam to turn down. We turned it down a bit, but it's my favorite. Do you know I what did? it is? Yeah. No, what? What? Uh, out of the bridge into the the chorus section that's just like one guitar and a drum beat in the vocal there's this big slide like guitar slide it actually sounds like slide guitar almost but like on the high strings like that do you know what I'm talking about well I'm, I must know if I asked it to be turned down it was really loud that doesn't it's still seem loud. like uh, okay it must have been okay it must have been just like psycho but I yeah because I, I like shit like that usually yeah, it's uh, so. it's I would call it I used to call it 12s and I still call it 12s. But it's, you know, like when you just bar 12th fret on the your high strings, you can do as many as you want. High strings. It goes like <laughs> it's one of those. But it's a very like country sounding lead. And I think it's really cool. I missed it for the whole demo. So uh, cold splooded. That's also interesting. Is that like a weird cop thing? Hmm? It does sound a little like splooded. When did we get so cold splooded? Yeah, it sounds like it was a different word and it got like cut up or something. You didn't notice that? No, I didn't. It's probably just uh it probably is a bad comp or uh or just like crazy like DS or gone wrong. Who knows? <laughs> okay. I'm not a the good other, engineer. <laughs> the other question I had you're pretty good. That demo actually sounds pretty good. Uh the other question I had is the lyric the room is burning, I don't even notice. Really reminds me of that meme with the dog in the room on fire that says, this is fine. Sure. Is I don't that think- is it from that? Because it sounds like that's the inspiration. I, I feel like that was in my mind. <laughs> I, I- <laughs> Why not? It, it, it is like, obviously, it's a bit, seems a bit lame to reference like one of the most popular memes of all time. But at the same time, if we're talking about uh, processing 
bad news in a digital age, I mean, what better thing to reference than the stupid meme everyone posts when like Doug Ford cuts healthcare for the 50,000th time. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Now that, that I thought of that earlier and I, I never asked like earlier on in the process of the song and I never asked, but I always liked it and I always pictured it. Good so, catch, man. There you go. A little bit of, uh, there's the, there's the little bit of the, uh, what we're going to give them the treat. There's a little treat right there. It's the flavor of the week. There you go. Dog treat. It's a dog treat. <laughs> little treat for the doggies. Yeah. Flavor, the lighter flavor of the week, which is a song we've been known to jam before we go on stage. <laughs> flavor of the week. What American a song. Hi-Fi. It's a good song. The music video is amazing too. <laughs> it's a good song. American Hi- we're, we're American Hi-Fi fans. I'm a huge fan. Does American Hi-Fi stand for American high fidelity is it, it just it's a, it's a short form right like it's we we go by their full name we call them american high fidelity yes <laughs> that's really funny saying that music video is one of one of the best rock music videos there is if you remember it there it's like 70s like muscle car parking lot detroit like baseball black baseball shirts with white sleeves kind of like drag racing stuff it's very cool uh, sounds awesome isn't there an american hi-fi song with like a really funny note in it that like really bothers you yes it's 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 like i'm my own worst anime and then like the <laughs> note is so not what you're expecting it's like really 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 weird that was like their follow-up i think their next album was like the, the like lead track and because flavor of the week was so big this song got a lot of radio play uh my own worst anime and and uh I don't know people probably some people remember the song and it wasn't should, like a terrible song or anything. It was just that note, man, was like it drove me crazy every time I heard it. Yeah, it sounds straight up out of key. You have played it for me saying, doesn't this piss you off? It didn't really. And I think because you pitched it, <laughs> well, because you pitched it like that, I think it made me just be like, no, I actually like it. Uh, <laughs> of course you would, though. <laughs> You should. That's another treat for the people. You should play that. Just snag that chorus and put that in the podcast too. Are we allowed to do that? Absolutely. I don't care. Here it is. That was the note. There it is. That's the infamous note, which we... It's good. I stand by it. (laughs) He still likes it. Okay. Okay. It's good in the way like uh, sour candy is good. It just kind of hurts, but it's it's an adventure. Yes. Like, uh, what were those candies called? They weren't called sour balls. Warheads. Mm, And there was like sour rocks or what were those ones called? Mm. I don't know. Can't help you there. Warheads is the one I know. Sour eggs? I don't remember what they were. Uh, warheads were definitely. <laughs> no, keep trying. You'll get it. Just keep no, going. There were the sour balls, though. The sour balls that were like gum. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sour it balls. It was almost like sandpaper in texture, and it would really cut your tongue if you. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Ouch. Anyway. Speaking of delicious treats, 
We're going to play the Cold Blood acapella version right now for you all to hear this wonderful uh, work of acapella vocals from myself and Trevor Daniel. Here we go. Are we past the point of feeling detached from tragedy? What used to leave us reeling, we barely even see nerve damage. Everything's going numb I should panic But all I feel is pins and needles The room is burning I don't even notice The smoke is filling my lungs And I'm just hoping For something, anything Remind me why I'm breathing When did we get so Every morning to this animosity. If the world didn't fall apart, I'm not sure if we'd even be here. And somehow I feel far from home, even underneath my own sheets. Full of blood, ice cold, I'm numb. I don't know how I'm even breathing. Nerve damage. The connection is breaking up I should panic Cause all I feel is pins and needles The room is burning I don't even notice The smoke is filling my lungs And I'm just hoping For something, anything Remind me why I'm breathing When did we get so And I know enough to know We might not make it home Before it all takes hold Before it all takes hold Great vocal performance. Really, really great. Yeah, even though you turned down all my cool guitars for the final mix, but I like having them turned down even further to really let those vocals shine. The guitars were all the way down in that one. Yes, they're, <laughs> in that mix. They were all the way down. So that that is uh, our episode about Cold Blood. Does anyone have anything to add before we get into Josh's final thought? I'm not standing in the way of Josh's final thought. Hell no. Take it away. Well, I certainly feel like I've spoken a lot in this episode, probably as much as every other episode combined. So I don't know where I can take this other than to say the media that we are spoon-fed, bombarded with, have trouble escaping, is certainly a lot of bad news. And it can get you feeling really bad about yourself about the world 
I think it's important to remember that there is a lot of good out there. It's okay to be uninformed for a minute and put the put the phone down, put the tablet down, close the laptop, turn the TV off, turn off the radio, and go for a walk. Go outside, spend a little time under the beautiful sun, spend time with your loved ones, talk amongst yourselves, and uh, share some some good news stories between you, and uh, give the give the bad news cycle a little break from time to time. I love it. There it is. Wonderful. I have to add to it. I'm sorry. Josh, you, you mentioned and, you know, you call out by name correctly, the media that we're spoon fed. But you got to also, importantly, look at who you're following on all your social media sites. And if you are getting riled up consistently by some of them, unfollow that shit. You do not need this noise in your life. It is an exercise I have done I, I reevaluate this stuff as much as I can, and I've gotten off almost all of the social media platforms because fuck all that noise. I'm much happier for it. As Josh says, get outside, go for a walk, talk to your loved ones. I do all three of those at the same time. It's called golf. So maybe just pick up a set of golf clubs, delete all your social media, and live a better life. Yeah. <laughs> Truly, you, this you has can... been a message paid for by Golf Incorporated. <laughs> Honestgolf.com. <laughs> You can truly cultivate the experience a lot more than I think you used to be able to, although maybe we're not as bombarded with it in the past. But you you can choose who is bombarding you, and uh, I I think that that is an important exercise. And Yeah, get down on the ground and roll around with your dog or cat or iguana. I don't know what you have. (laughs) Whatever you do, continue to follow at Silverstein, uh, at Silverstein Music, whatever it is, on our social media, though, because we need to tell you when we're coming to your town. And we'll give you good news. The good news is more music, more concerts. Yeah. What else do you want? Music and concerts. You it's love a, it. It's a beautiful thing. Well, everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Silverstein, the podcast. We're getting down to the end. We have almost no more episodes, but this has been really awesome. And make sure that you uh, continue to hit that subscribe button, that follow button, whatever you're listening to this on, because we have another episode next week. Of course, we're going to round out this album, but down the road, we'll also be doing more stuff right here on this very RSS feed. So you're going to love it. Please subscribe. And thank you again for listening to this one. Yo, what's up? Yo, what's up, Trevor? How you doing, man? It's Shane. Hey, dude. Chilling. Dude, thank you so much for for taking my call and uh, doing this little extra podcast sequence we're doing, talking about the song that you were so gracious to perform on, man. So first of all, thank you so much for for doing the track. Dude, of course, bro. I'm I'm just so stoked to get to work with you guys. It's been a like dream of mine, bro. Like Shipwreck was like my favorite fucking album for like the longest time. So it was just like this was so dope. I'm so glad I work with you guys. Sweet. That's so nice of you to say. You know, uh, it's funny, yeah, because, I mean, I was familiar with your music. Obviously, I mean, you know, you had one particular song that was like, it just exploded. Like, everyone heard that song, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I didn't know you were a fan of our band. I didn't know you knew us at all. How did you initially find out about us and, and kind of just, like, figure out, hey, maybe you can you can collaborate with us? Dude, okay, so... I definitely found out about you guys like, like 2008 ish, 2009 ish. Like, dude, me and my friends, like, 
before football games would be, be just like Jim and Silverstein. And then I think like running back to now, and I think we shared the same attorney. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was, he was like, yo, would you be down for this? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, bro? Yes. <laughs> Let's go. That's funny. Like, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. Telling telling people it was our lawyer that was the mutual friend between us that made it happen is like maybe not the coolest story, but it's the fucking <laughs> truth at least. <laughs> dude, it really is, dude. Like it 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 it's really well, Lauren's a super cool dude. He is really awesome. If if they knew Lauren, like they would definitely think it was a sick story because Lauren he's a fucking rock star on it in a totally. his own lane. Like he's he's dope. Totally. So, Hell yeah, man. It's super, super funny. So yeah, it's interesting that Shipwreck in the Sand was um, such a important record for you because, you know, at the time it came out, at least it was our best album by far. But typically when people say, oh, I used to, you know, love, love you guys. You guys were like really big for me. They talk about, you know, like discovering the waterfront or when Broke's easily fixed, like our old, old stuff. Mm-hmm. So what was it about that record that, that kind of like, I guess, uh, grabbed you right away and, and made you a fan of what we were doing? Dude, uh, the instrumentation was like phenomenal and just like everything about it. Like I was listening to it heavy when Lauren called me. I like re-listened to everything and it just like threw me back. Wow. It just like threw me back to a certain time period in life. And and like music that can do that in general just automatically just has this like superpower, basically. It just throws you into a world. Like I just remember like smoking weed in the green belts listening to it. Like um <laughs> and like like I don't smoke anymore. I just it was just like just the the time period. It just like threw me back. It just feels like there's so much intention behind that album. There there was. There, there one hundred percent was. I mean, that's that's cool that you felt that because you know that was there was a really strong direction that I had making that record, and that record made me a little crazy actually. But that's incredible that 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 had such an impact on you. So moving into this song, Cold Blood, that we sent you, we heard your voice on this thing perfectly, and you absolutely killed it. What was cool? Some people might not know this, you know, about features sometimes. They're written for you. Sometimes you write your own, and you wrote your own. I think almost all of it. Um, we had one like line, you know, the pre-chorus that you did that was already there. Mm-hmm. But what was your approach when you heard, kind of heard this song, what we'd put together, and what was your take on, you know, the the lyrics and just just the kind of vibe? Dude, yeah. So like when I heard it, I was instantly a fan of the song. I was just like, okay, this song is sick. Because you know sometimes like you get sent like feature ideas and everything, and then it's like kind of like a letdown. Um, but this one definitely didn't let me down. I was like, oh shit, I really, I really want to like bring something to it. Because because I don't, I don't want to be that guy who hops on the song and then it just like I ruin it because it was so good. So it's like the opposite problem, right? Of like a feature where you're like, oh God, is this like, is this good? Is this, are we going to make this like good or do I have to improve it? It's like, shit, I don't want to fuck this up. (laughs) Yeah. This, this one was definitely, I don't want to fuck this one up. Um, so I sat with it for a minute and then I listened to it one day and then I was like, okay, how am I going to approach this? And then I was trying to interpret exactly like where you guys were coming from with the the whole like meaning behind the song right and then and then it just started clicking with me in a certain way i was in this relationship over covid actually 
both of those two things started sticking together. Like, and the perfect way I can explain this relationship is COVID. And just right. saying the word COVID kind of explains it. Right. I was just sitting there thinking about that. And that's how it related to me. Like, it just started feeling like everything started getting cold-blooded. It's really interesting that you took a personal spin on it and you took from it a cold-blooded kind of relationship that, that turned sort of, you know, hateful or at best apathetic. A lot of the subject matter that we were talking about was almost like what was going on during COVID with hearing all these horrible things happening mm-hmm. and so many people just really like going, eh, I don't know, like, you know, just the kind of like doom scrolling that we were all doing, you know, during COVID and sort of feeling like this hopelessness, but also there's only so much you can really pay attention to or you'll drive yourself crazy. Dude. Yeah. It, it, it definitely like numbed everybody too. Like, exactly. and like, I'm glad you said that too. Cause that's kind of like where the whole like nerve damage in the, in the pre comes in. Like that's, that's kind of what I was taking from it too. And like, that's why it reminded me of what was going on. And there was like a line too, where I was like, if the world didn't fall apart, I'm not sure if we'd even be here. Right. Right. Cause like we started dating during COVID. Right. And like, I just needed like some comfort basically. Um, which sounds fucking horrible to say. But that's so, that's so relatable, dude. I mean, you're not the only one that had a COVID relationship like that for that reason. You know, I mean, so many people were lonely and, and, you know, and, and even worse, you know, you could say bored, but like that definitely makes sense. And, and that's really, really cool that you found your own, your own verse that, that put a completely spent different spin on it. That is so, that's so sick. Dude, hell yeah. And honestly, like, I think, I think with a lot of Silverstein songs, that's the cool thing about it. There's, there's so many like options of interpretation Mm -hmm. that's available, like too, because lyrically everything's like extremely poetic fucking applause over here for you guys. (laughs) Like that shit is amazing. So. With Shipwreck in the Sand, you know, it being this big concept and telling this whole story, I remember when the record came out and people were trying to like guess, you know, oh, it, is this happening here? Like, is this what's happening? And like, anytime somebody would come up with a better one than I did, I'd just be like, oh yeah, that's it, that's it. <laughs> Over time, I actually even forgot some of them. I just stole other people's, and I don't even remember like which were mine or which were other people's interpretation. But the truth is, it doesn't really matter. Like, that's what music is. And the second that it leaves my pen and my lungs and it appears on a recording and people listen to it, it's not only mine anymore. It belongs to everyone. So, you know, so people can take what they want from it, what they need from it. And that's that's the whole beautiful thing about what we fucking do. Exactly, dude. We definitely found the cheat code in life. Like <laughs> the fact that we, we make music is like insane. It is. It is insane, dude. We can leave it at that, man. I don't know if there's anything else you want to uh, say about the song or, or, or about the band or anything, but uh, if you have any last words, uh, feel free, man. I just want to say thank you. First of all, you guys, like I really appreciate even being a thought to be on this record and it, really meant a lot to me. So thank you so much. Well, Trevor, thank you, man. And it is one of my favorite parts on the album, if not my very favorite part. I just love the twist that you put on on the song with your vocals and, and your words. And thanks. I hope we can collaborate again, man, on something in the future. Dude, hell yeah. Let's do it. And I'll see you out in California. Yeah, see you, man. Thank you.
What's the point of feeling detached from tragedy? What used to leave us reeling, we barely even see nerve damage. Everything's going numb. I should panic, but all I feel is pins and needles. Just hope I